Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So it's faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know, a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they was pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think, Waltoats? Hello. Thanks so much for joining me here on a very special episode of the Atheist Roundtable. Tonight I'm going to air my second half of my interview with Callie Wright. Again, if you are not listening to the Gay Theist Manifesto, got to go and start listening to the Gaytheist Man. Callie Wright is one of the most awesome people alive, and she is truly one of the great leaders of the atheist movement and of the LGBT rights movement, and her show shows you why. So we're jumping right back into my interview with Callie Wright. I want to switch gears here real quick to the other side of your activism in, in atheism. I don't yeah. know if I don't know if I've ever heard your 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 atheism story. <laughs> I don't tell it often, and that's why. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, so be, um, I, I don't – were you ever religious? Well, so here's the thing. The reason why I don't talk about my atheism story is because, frankly, it's not super interesting. Um, <laughs> um, I, I was – I went to church with my grandma when I was a kid, uh, up until the time when I was about 16 or so. And I was a very, I was a very lukewarm Christian. You know, I, I think for me it was just more of a thing that I did with my grandma because I loved my grandma. And I mean, a lot of it seemed to make sense to me as a kid, like just because that was, you know, I was never being taught otherwise. So it's like, you know, oh, you know, there's this being who created you and loves you and, you know, listens to your prayers and, you know, will comfort you when you're hurting and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that all, that all sounds great to me. And like I said, I I was pretty lukewarm about it. I mean, I was never like an evangelical. I was never one who would like preach at other people or anything like that about it. Um, It was just kind of, like I said, I was, I was a lukewarm, uh, a, a lukewarm Christian. And, um, there were kind of a couple of things that you know started that made me start to question, and uh, you know one of them was actually reading the Bible. I mean that's you know the story that everyone tells is um, you know a, reading the Bible made me an atheist faster than anything. Like that's kind of a joke and it's almost a cliche at this point, but it's I mean how many of us can say that because it's true. Like so you know it was a combination of that and getting into high school and being around people who weren't religious. And, and and I remember in particular there was this guy who was super super smart and he was a really nice guy and I just remember him just tearing Christianity down 
and I remember thinking to myself, like, well, I know he's smart, and I know he's a good person, but he's saying all these really horrible things about Christianity, and in my mind, Christianity was still, like, the default thing, right? And anyone who wasn't Christian was, like, this weird, possibly Satanist, like, bad person, but, like, you know, I heard him saying this stuff, and realizing that he wasn't a bad person, and, you know, so that made me really start, like, well, I'm going to go ahead and read this Bible thing. I'm going to figure out what all this is about, and I'm going to start researching, and I did, and I realized that none of it actually made sense to me, so I just kind of left it behind. You know, there was there was never there was never a huge, you know, internal emotional struggle over it for me. I was a little bummed at first because it's like, wow, you know, if if there's no God, I guess that means there's no heaven, which I guess means, you know, when I die, that's it. Like, that's that's kind of depressing, but, like, there was never this huge emotional struggle or, um, you know, my, my grandma didn't disown me for being atheist, even though she's a pretty fundamentalist Christian. Um, I mean, you know, we would have debates and they would get kind of annoying sometimes like they do, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a relationship defining thing like me, you know, leaving religion. So, um, you know, that it was, it was an almost entirely intellectual journey for me. So it wasn't really, it's not something that colored my life so much that, uh, you know, so I don't have like this, you know, really like inspiring, you know, story or anything like that about being an atheist. Like once I, once I did the research and learned about stuff like that just kind of turned to be the most sensible thing for me. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I started reading like, you know, the, the four horsemen, um, you know, the, those folks, the, the books that they read and stuff that, you know, kind of made me realize like, wow, this is a problem. And, you know, maybe, a, maybe, you know, self-identifying as an activist and openly having conversations with people about this kind of stuff is a thing that might be important to do. And so, you know, that kind of started my phase of like, well, I'm just going to debate with religious people and be very open about being an atheist and never really took it any further than that for a long time. And then, um, you know, I got into a relationship. We were going to get married. So I was like, you know, focused on adult life and all that kind of stuff. So I stepped out of it a little bit. And, the, and you know, I was in a band and we toured. And, you know, my mind was very much on that. And um, so, you know, I I I'd kind of turned into a passionate atheist at that point. I don't know if I would call myself an activist at that point because I really wasn't. Um, and then, and then I started listening to podcasts and, uh, you know, I started listening to the, uh, you know, everybody says the atheist experience is a TV show, but it's a podcast to me because that's the first way I heard it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and I mean, all the, the basic one-on-one atheist podcasts, like, you know, atheist experience and dogma debate and you know, shows like that. And, um, listening to those shows kind of made me want to be an atheist activist, but I was, you know, it. Somewhere in that neighborhood, I, I, you know, I, I'd come out as trans and I'd started to, you know, really explore my identity, you know, in that way. And um, it, it, at that point, it seemed like a separate thing for me. Like, you know, I, I'm into atheist atheism and I want to do atheist activism stuff, and I'm also doing LGBT activism in my own community and getting involved with support organizations and stuff like that here in Cincinnati, where I'm from, and the idea of putting them together and doing them as a combined effort didn't really cross my mind for the first time 
until I went to a, uh, a marriage equality rally in downtown Cincinnati. This was uh, last summer, so summer of 2014. And they had a they had a commitment ceremony where they got I think it was like ten or twelve different gay couples, and they gathered them together on Fountain Square, which is kind of like the center of downtown Cincinnati. And uh, so they had this commitment ceremony, and it was officiated by uh, an, an affirming member of the clergy from some church in Cincinnati, wherever they're from. And um, in 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 the course of performing the ceremony, he actually said the words. If you don't know God, you don't know love, and if you don't know love, you don't know God. And I thought to myself, like, wow, that's a pretty aggressive thing to say in front of this crowd. Like, there are a lot of people in this community who have been hurt very badly by religion and want nothing to do with it. And so, like, that that, that kind of planted the seed, I guess, a little bit. I didn't really, you know, decide to take action or anything at that point. But that kind of planted the seed, like, man, maybe – Maybe atheist activism and LGBT activism are a thing that makes sense to go together. But, you know, that, that was kind of in the back of my head. I was involved with another organization at the time that did uh, support for victims of rape and sex abuse. And that was something that um, I was and still am very passionate about, but that's not something I have a personal history with. So it's not something that I can speak from personal experience or with um, you know, as much conviction as someone who has a personal stake in the in the issue. And then what... What it ended up doing it for me was kind of like the final straw was when Leela Alcorn died in December, we had two vigils for her because she was actually from Cincinnati, where I'm from. And uh, and I mean, I mean, anybody who's listened to the show has heard me tell this story, but um, there was another you know, affirming member of the clergy there who was talking about God and all that. And she actually said the word that I believe God was a first responder on the highway that day. And, you know, as an atheist, that unbelievably repugnant thing to say because you're implying that God stood by and watched while this girl's family tortured her with conversion therapy and rejected her, isolated her from her friends, watched as she made the decision to commit suicide as she wrote her suicide note, auto-posted it to Tumblr, walked out on the highway and watched as the truck hit and then decided to show up like, come on. And that, and that was kind of the final straw for me. Like, you know, like th- these things have to go together. I, I really think they do. I think they go together really well. And um, especially because of exactly, as you say, the harm that has been inflicted upon this community by religious people. And even when religion, even when affirming clergy try to say, nice things. Try to say words of comfort. I mean, these... I, I don't think for a second that either one of these people was was, was coming from a place of malice or or, right. or, or, uh, or ill intent. All they wanted to do was to give some kind of nice, affirming message. But if you think about it for just a little bit, it turns into something ugly really fast. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I mean, it, it's so. I mean, at the very, very least, it's incredibly tone deaf. Uh, we had the Transgender Day of Remembrance this past week, which, for those who don't know, is a day where we memorialize trans people who've lost their lives to violence because of being trans. And at the ceremony that we had here in Cincinnati, there was there was a, a pastor who's actually a transgender pastor, 
who is a um you know the head of this affirming church here and they were going on and making comparisons to people like Abraham and to Paul and I'm thinking to myself like look I am not the world's foremost bible expert okay but like don't compare my community to someone who was ready to sacrifice his kid on a rock for God no I, I'm I'm not okay with that. And and don't don't try and pretend like Paul wasn't the one that says homosexuals deserve death in the New Testament. Alright. Don't bring that shit into my community. You know, and, and people say this stuff because it sounds good, but they don't think of the context. Especially because sure, there are probably religious people in the room who are gonna eat it up because they're not giving us a second thought either. But you know, I mean, for somebody like me, it makes me mad, but there are people who have actual trauma because of the way that they were received by their religious family or, you know, at their church who don't want to be, they don't want to have that shit thrown in their face. You know, especially when you put those things in context, like don't quote Paul in LGBT struggles. The dude thought we deserved to die for who we are. You know, and he was also the one, if memory serves, the one who said women, uh, you know, shouldn't be allowed to speak in church. <laughs> like, like you know, the guy you're quoting, right? Talking about the LGBT struggle. Get the hell out of my face with that. So, <laughs> um, in 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 the thing that I think is important to point out is it's not just about religiously inspired bigotry and it's not just about the tone deaf things that religious people say even sometimes trying to help the flip side of this is that for people who are atheist especially if they grow up in super oppressive religious environments their religion be i mean their religion is their identity right and leaving that leaving your religion leaving your church sometimes can cause as much of an identity struggle as someone who is struggling with their gender, with their sexuality, um, because they're, they're, they're literally shifting their entire paradigm of how they view the world and how they view their place in it and how you know they're going to be received by their family, by their friends, by their communities and their peers. And, um, you know, you grow up thinking that, you know, like for me, example for for example, you grow up thinking like, well, if you're born a man, you're a man, and you do man things, and you're manly, and you have a beard, and like, you know, like that's just what you grow up with. And when you start to realize that that's not who you are, there's an incredible struggle that comes with that because you're fighting cultural programming, and cultural programming is incredibly powerful, and. If you grow and, and I didn't grow up in one of these environments, and that's the reason I didn't put two and two together at first. Even when I first started doing this kind of activism, you know, I mean, it took me after getting into it for a while to recognize that the that the the connection actually went this deep. Um, you know, to hear people talking about their struggles leaving religion, I was like, holy shit, these people are telling the same story. You know, if, if you take out all of the language about God and religion and replace it with whatever LGBT language there is, like you're telling the same story. 
So there's there's that intersectionality too that I think is important to point out. You know, it's it's not just the fact that religion generally takes a dim view of queer and trans people, which I mean it definitely does, and that's obviously a conversation worth having, and that's a fight worth fighting. But there's that other side of it too that's just, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we as as queer and trans folks and as atheists, I think we are more uniquely. Um, more uniquely primed to have empathy for one another because some of our struggles are similar, even if they're about different things. Um, so it's, it's, it's important, I think, to, to, to put that part of it together as well. I couldn't agree more. So I got, I got my last question here, and I think this is the most important one of the whole podcast because I know that you're a Star Trek geek. <laughs> I, I hope I hope we're about to fight. I so hope we're about to fight. So, <laughs> would you get into a transporter? Well, uh huh, uh huh. Okay. So maybe we're not maybe we're not about to fight because I don't know. And you you ask me this question because you know how much of a nerd I am, uh-huh. and you know beyond any shadow of a doubt this that this is a thing I've thought about a lot. Exactly. <laughs> Especially that episode with Lieutenant Barkley, because he's petrified of, of getting in a transporter. Um, God, I just I don't know. I let me let me say a few things definitively. I would not volunteer to test the prototype. <laughs> I will say that definitively. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, there was that episode with uh, the transporter accident that made a copy of Riker as well. Yes. Yeah. Which, God, how creepy is that? Like, I don't want there to be a second me out there. I know. <laughs> be weird. Well, so, so yeah, uh, stepping into a transporter has always been my most interesting Star Trek question, although you were probably thinking I was going to ask you Kirk or Picard, but the answer to that question is obviously Picard. Cisco, yeah. Oh, really? Really? Oh, absolutely. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard anyone go with Cisco before. Yeah, well, like I thought you were going to ask me who my favorite captain was because that's what you normally, you know, and that's, you know, normally the question that <laughs> so much so that when I mention being a Star Trek fan in my talks, I usually just get it out of the way. Like, yeah, my favorite captain is Cisco. Debate me, I'll win because I will win. Um, I have to rewatch DS Nine again. Uh, I got stuck in Voyager, and I remembered why I couldn't finish watching it the first time around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So okay, so so I'm gonna talk for a second about the transporter thing, and then I'm gonna make my case for Cisco. Okay. Okay, go. So um, so like I said, I would definitely not volunteer to test the prototype. Um, you know, I, I would need to know. And, and let me ask this: Are we talking about a transporter that theoretically works the same way the one in Star Trek does? Yes, theoretically it works exactly okay. the same way. Right, because. Obviously, the question is, you know, is is the thing that comes out on the other side of the transporter actually you? There you go. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the ship of Theseus, you know, uh, dilemma, the philosophical dilemma. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I would have to know a little bit more about the process and the physics 
of how it works because obviously Star Trek leaves a little bit of that to the imagination because obviously the technology doesn't exist. Um, you know, after a repeated demonstration of its safety and efficacy, you know, maybe, I don't know. Um, but definitively would not volunteer to be like the first one through or anything. Um, okay. So, and, and, and as far as the captain thing goes, okay. So let me preface this by saying that my, my reasons for thinking Cisco is the best captain, they may be a little unfair to the other captains because we got to see him in a lot of circumstances. We didn't get to see other captains in. So, um, the first and most important argument is that Cisco is half god. Um, okay. So he he really is the the prophets the wormhole aliens. Oh right, his, his, his yeah. mother. His, his mother was a wormhole alien, uh, or one of the prophets or the Bajoran gods. So I mean he he's literally half god. So so there's there's that side of things. Um, but on a more serious note. Um, you get to see – you never really get to see any other captain's morality be tested in a repeated, repeated way under the kind of pressure that you got to see Cisco's morality tested during the Dominion War. Um, there there was really not ever a point where any captain other than Cisco had actually the entire weight of the Alpha Quadrant like – I'm going to make this decision and it's going to mean you know the federation literally falls or you know the federation wins. Cisco had to make those kinds of decisions several times and no other captain really did that much. Um we got to see him we I mean we got to see him in wartime. We got to see him as a negotiator, we got to see him as a scientist, we got to see him as a father um and as a good father, a single father. And a Starfleet captain. Yeah, that was the best part of Cisco. I thought was that he's the only captain that we got to see a real family life behind. Exactly, exactly. And you know the fact that he was able to juggle all of those things and be good at them most of the time um, is a huge argument in his favor. And um, you know, you, you get to see his humanity. I think. Um, because, you know, Kirk was obviously, you know, the ladies' man, the, you know, the cowboy, and I love Captain Picard, and Captain Picard was a role model for me because I grew up without a dad, and Captain Picard was, like, my, like, role model father figure, um, so I'm, I'm definitely not knocking him at all, but, you know, throughout basically all of Next Gen, I mean, he is this paragon of virtue, and, it gets tested sometimes, but it never got tested to the level that Cisco's got tested during the Dominion War, to where he's like involved in assassination plots and shit, you know, because he knows if he doesn't do it, the Federation is going to lose the war, and you know, the entire Alpha Quadrant becomes occupied by the Dominion, you know, because he's not willing to bend or break the rules a little bit. And the fact that he was able to do that, and you know, you see this episode where he's actually and he ends up involved in an assassination plot, um, you know, kind of sort of unwittingly, but you know, at the very end of the episode, you know, he says that he can live with it because at the end of the day, like, you know, the the the, the Federation wins, and all it really cost was, 
you know, the the lives of two people who weren't that great of people anyways and his own self-respect. And, like, is that too high of a price to pay for the entire Alpha Quadrant? Like, I, I don't think DS9 gets enough credit for exploring morality in the way that it does, especially during the Dominion War. I think the Dominion War is some of the best television ever written. And um, we never got to see any of the other captains under that much pressure in situations like that. So um, that's uh, that's my case for Cisco as as my favorite captain. You may not agree, but I think you have to at least admit that I make a solid case. I I absolutely agree that that is an extremely solid case, and that uh, we're going to have to get DS9 back in my queue on Netflix. Um, Callie, I want to say that the Gaffius Manifesto is the podcast that I look forward to every week. Um, it's not just activism. It's heartwarming, gut-wrenching activism. Uh, you, with your podcast, reach into and grab a hold of your audience uh, and bring them along with you on a journey that um, we can't help but fall in love with you. Uh, it is... It is fantastic to be able to join you uh, in that journey on a weekly basis and to feel part of uh, and to feel be a part of be a part of that. That's just amazing. I love it, and I want to thank you so much for the things that you do on the Gaytheist Manifesto. That is God, like you're about to make me cry, Andrew. <laughs> Your last episode on the the, the Day of Remembrance. The Transgender yeah. Day of Remembrance. I, I I couldn't listen to it at work. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I got I actually got several Facebook messages to that effect. Um, I um, thought I was going to listen to it at work, and I was wrong. <laughs> and you know, I don't. I'm I'm not going to pretend like I don't go out of my way to try and tug heartstrings and try and you know move people's emotions. I mean that's that's definitely one of my goals is to to humanize humanize God. <laughs> I tried to say humanize and personalize <laughs> both together, and it didn't work out super well for me. Um, but you know to to very much personalize the things that that LGBT people in general and especially trans people go through. Um, because you know, there, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the atheist community as a whole wants to do, to do good uh, by our community. You know, I mean, you see at least one atheist group at every Pride Festival, you know, if, if not more. And you know, I get so many questions from so many different people about things that they can do to make their spaces more safe and welcoming to, to LGBT people. And um, so, like. There are so many people in this movement that are so passionate about you know doing right by the LGBT community and, and and I think I mean I think it's amazing you know but I think more than me just you know standing on a platform telling people what to do to be better if I can just tell my story and give other folks platforms to tell their stories you know instead of saying well you know here's you know top five things you can do to be a better ally, you know, I can I can tell you a story about someone you know, something that somebody did that hurt me and why it hurt me. 
or something that somebody did that was amazing and why it's amazing and why it might not be a totally intuitive thing uh, for someone who doesn't necessarily think about these things all the time. And so, you know, part of my goal with the show and, um, you know, I mean, if you're if, if your praise is any any indication, I guess I'm doing an OK job at it um, is is to not so much be preachy about, you know, here's all the things that you can do to be better. I mean, although I I most definitely do that sometimes. And I mean, I own the fact that I do that, but it's also just to you you know, you look at the polling surrounding the gigantic paradigm shift in this country when it comes to, uh, you know, the the idea of marriage equality. And if you if you look at when you know if, if people change their mind, why they change their mind, the overwhelming answer is that well, you know, I, I found out that someone I loved was gay, or I got to know someone who was gay. And you figure out that, like, you know, well, aside from this one thing, they're not really that different from me. You know, I mean, I have, you know, I mean, I just had a hugely intellectual conversation about a fictional, you know, science science fiction universe. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a nerd. I love Star Trek. I love music. I love movies. Uh, You know, I, I have a girlfriend that I love and. I have, you know, I love dogs and I have friends and like, I mean, I'm I'm just a human being and there are definitely unique challenges that I face because of who I am. But you know, aside from that, I'm not really that different than anyone else. And I think if I can just let people in to that, the, you know, the good stuff and the bad stuff, you know, I, I don't obviously don't shy away from the bad stuff on my show. It gets pretty heavy sometimes and I'm okay with that. Um, I think that does more for the cause of allyship than any, you know, dry presentation on like, you know, 10 things you can do to be a better ally. And so that's, you know, I I think it's important, like, because, I mean, I have such a great support structure. Like, I am relatively comfortable being very vulnerable and very open with the things that I struggle with, you know. Um, I mean, I, I still get feedback on episode four of my show and episode 40 was the last one. And it's an episode where we talked about uh, transgender bathroom bills, where all these politicians are basically trying, when it comes down to it, they're trying to stop trans people from using public restrooms. And in the middle of that episode, I kind of break down and start sobbing. And because, because I, you know, kind of came to this realization that like, you know, the, the, the right, has kind of given up the fight when it comes to marriage equality and um and even somewhat when it comes to gay equality in general um and you know their next target is the trans community and there are people in our community who are very vulnerable and I don't know I, I don't I don't know what the body count is going to be like because of that you know and and I think about people that I know in my community especially kids who are super vulnerable and and it terrifies me to think that you know they're going to be affected by that backlash and I'm going to lose somebody in my community to suicide because of something like that like it it pains me um and it's a very real possibility i mean uh, we had a suicide in our community earlier this year it wasn't someone that i that i knew i mean it was somebody that i had met before but it wasn't somebody that i really knew or was close to um and uh so you know i i have the privilege of being able to be open about my vulnerabilities and the things that I struggle with. And I I don't do it because 
I, I don't do it because I want everyone to know every intimate detail of my life, but I think it's important I, 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 you know, I, I think it's important to, to humanize those things. You know, it's, it, these things don't just happen to this other group of people that's over there somewhere. That's like this mysterious, you know, cult-like group of people that you only hear about on, you know, tabloid news stories or whatever. You know, because you, you, you and I can have a, you know, a, an intellectual discussion about science fiction. So you know that I'm just a person. You know, and, and then I can turn around and I can talk about things like trans bathroom bills and why that and why that stuff is super harmful and you know how much it sucks that I mean I I get anxiety every time I walk into a public restroom every single time. Um, it's gotten better over time, but um, I still have anxiety over it, even at work, even even uh, you know as, as awesome as my employer is, I still you know, fear that there's just there's going to be that one person because I know people who have been physically assaulted, violently physically assaulted, uh, for being quote unquote in the wrong bathroom. And um, I, I think it's important for those stories to be told, and I think it's important for people to understand those things in more than a. I I, I don't want to just tell you that those things happen. I actually want those stories to be heard. So, you know, that's why I do what I do on the show and I'm um it makes me feel really really good to know that there's um you know that there's some some success with that because it can be uncomfortable sometimes for me to you know, I'm I do for uh, I do a, an audio journal for the patrons of my show and one of the audio journals I talk about my first time experiencing anything sexual after uh, you know, starting hormones. And it's not because I want everyone to know the intimate details of my sex life, but um, I, I think it's important for people to understand, again, like, I'm a person. Most people enjoy sex and sexuality. I'm no different from that. And that's that. it's okay for me to want that and for me to own that, too. Um, and and it's, not, it's not weird. It's not wrong. It's not odd. It's just I'm just a person who enjoys sex and sexuality, so I'm going to talk about it because I want to demystify it, and I don't want it to be this weird, like, taboo thing. So, um, you know, that's why I think it's important to have those conversations. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, you know, that it has that effect on people because that's exactly what I'm going for. So let everybody know exactly how they can support you, how they can support your show. And how they can, uh, and, and all of that stuff that you need to do to make sure that people who want to find you can do that. Okay, so I am at Gatheist Cali on Twitter, although I will admit that I kind of suck at Twitter and I don't tweet that much. Um, the show is at the as at the Gatheists. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, just Cali Wright, C A L L I E W R I G H T. Um, I I'll add basically anyone. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, uh, any of the you know Android podcast apps. Uh, it's on Spreaker. You can just search for the Gatheist Manifesto on Spreaker. It'll pop up there. Uh, the feed is at GatheistManifesto.SecularMediaGroup.com. Um, let's see. I think that's I think I think that's basically it. Um, <laughs> Don't forget to tell people how they can support you on Patreon, Callie. 
Right. Patreon.com slash the Gatheist Manifesto. Um, I, I don't have a ton to offer patrons. Um, patrons get to hear episodes two days early. Um, I, uh, I, I put my show up Thursday mornings and um, patrons generally get to hear it uh, at, at the very least by like late Tuesday night. Um, I'll shout you out on the show and uh, at a certain level, uh, we do a, a monthly Gatheist hangout where you just do a Google hangout and get together and uh, and talk and just hang out and have fun. So, Oh, and before you go, at the end of each episode, you end it with um, a fantastic message of outreach and hope and, and, and friendship. Would you do me the honor of ending my episode with that. I absolutely would. That's an awesome, awesome ask. So before we go, I want you to know that if you're lost, if you're hurting, if you're scared, if you feel like no one cares and no one understands, you need to know there is a community out here that loves you, cares for you, knows that you're capable of amazing things and that you are worthy of love. If you're struggling, please don't be afraid to reach out. Until next time, friends, this is the Atheist Roundtable. Callie Wright, you are amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to andrewtheatheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of Atheists humanists and agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God isn't here. We are. Take care of yourselves. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.